0: Hello, everyone. This is Larry Mishkin of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Welcome to another episode of our show today. I'm coming to you live from lovely Northfield, Illinois. Uh, Today is October 23rd, 2023. And 10 days ago at the United Center in Chicago, this happened. No, you don't have to check your dial. This is the Deadhead Cannabis Show, Uh, but that was Fish. And today we're talking about Fish. Fish just uh, closed up a great weekend run in Chicago. Actually, by the time you hear this, it'll be two weekends ago. Uh, Not this weekend that just passed, but the weekend before, October 13th through the 15th. First time they ever played the United Center in Chicago. And uh, I managed to get there all three nights. Uh, It was wonderful. My brother, Stephen, from St. Louis came up and joined me. A local buddy of my son, Kevin, was there. Uh, My good buddy JT showed up one night. My son Johnny was there. My wife Judy made it one night. A real family affair for the Michigans when Fish makes it to Chicago. Uh, And I was so impressed by the shows. And we'll talk about the shows themselves, too. But today I just wanted to uh, specifically focus on uh, the covers played by Fish uh, at, at this three-night run. And and Fish, you know, famously has uh, had to live with people often referring to them as a cover band, most uh, famously or infamously, uh, right before the uh, donut run, the Baker's Dozen in uh, Madison Square Garden in August of 2017. And uh, there's a little neck-to-neck competition between Fish and Billy Joel for who uh, uh, played the most shows in Madison Square Garden. They had both passed the Grateful Dead by that point. And uh, Billy Joel made some comment along the lines of, well, what is, you know, Fish, they're just a cover band. And so they took it to heart and they played 13 shows without uh, duplicating a song throughout the entire run, which was, uh, uh, pretty amazing but nonetheless uh they do happen to be a wonderful wonderful cover band when they choose to cover other bands music we've spent a lot of time talking about tunes of the grateful dead cover and and all the various artists out there whose music they've played and uh you know it's good to do it with fish too because uh, fish just reaches out everywhere and, and they uh they, they just go in so many different directions we talked about them playing golden age a, a song by tv on the radio and uh you know stuff like that but um uh these, these shows, it, it just was really, really special. Um, you know, they, they, they tend to cover really incredible, incredible artists, as you'll see from some of the selections we're gonna get into today. Uh, other times they will dig deep into a performer's catalog to pull out a, a particular song or a rarity. Um, and then other times like this, they cover the hits. Uh, And, and, you know, really, who doesn't love a a great Talking Heads tune, any Talking Heads tune, really? Uh, But this one is special, right? It's the second song on Remain in Light, one of the greatest albums of all time, in my opinion, uh, which was released back in October of 1980 uh, by Sire Records, uh, the Talking Heads' fourth album, uh, the last Heads album produced by the legendary Brian Eno. Fish debuted the tune on October 31st, 1996 at the Fish Halloween show at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where they covered Remain in Light as their musical costume, a fish tradition, where on Halloween, uh, they won't just cover a tune or two, they will actually pick an entire album, uh, typically a classical album, uh, rock and roll, and and cover the entire album. Although in later years, they've uh, uh, kind of resorted to uh, much more uh, creative things on Halloween, such as uh, when you're going as a, uh, I think it was a Swedish rock band or an Icelandic rock band. I don't know exactly which, and they actually wrote, uh, they put together an entire album that was supposed to be the band's album that they were, uh, coming and playing on stage there and everything. So they do fun things like that, but you know, there's no replacing, uh, classics like remain in light, uh, when they covered that on Halloween on October 31st, 1996. And so that was the first time that they played this tune, uh, since then, they've, they've uh, now played it, including the, the show I just saw, a total of 62 times. Uh, and, and what they bring to it that's different is, and, and I don't want Talking Heads fans to take this the wrong way. I'm a huge Talking Heads fan, is that they really jam it out in a way that the Talking Heads didn't, right? The Talking Heads had a very specific type of sound. And within that sound, they were very creative and they did a lot of things. But they didn't really take the tunes and, and, and stretch them out. Uh, the way Fish does or the way the Grateful Dead does or the way, you know, bands like Goose or other, you know, classical jam bands do. And and that's always one of the nice things, right? I mean, the Dead would take a three-minute Dylan tune and turn it into a 10-minute Dylan tune that they were covering. And Fish tends to do the same thing, not necessarily because they play it slower, but because they do jam it out. And when I tell you that this, uh, the entire show on the 13th was just an absolutely tremendous show. And um, I, I, one of the reasons why I'm doing the covers that they played is because there's just no way to get to all the other songs they played, but they just had one huge jam after another opening with Carini and then a big rift and then a, a nice Haley's Comet, And then a ghost really, you know, for the ages Now, I'm, I'm not a, a big fish as big a fish fan in terms of the number of shows that I've seen. So you have to take my opinion with a grain of salt, but I thought it was an absolutely amazing ghost with a tremendous, tremendous, jamming it and this is confirmed by uh matthew's good buddy kevin who was at the shows and we uh, he was there with his brother-in-law Aaron a couple of nights and we all drove back and forth together and had a chance to talk about all of this and you know those guys have seen them 100 150 plus times so i like to uh kind of you know see if i can stand up with them and uh in a conversation about all things fish but uh uh the second set was no different. They opened with Sand, which was great, uh, a, a, a tremendous Tweezer, uh, Cross-Eyed and Painless. Then, of course, Light, Mountains in the Mist, Golgi Apparatus, Harry Hood, and To Talk, which I didn't even know was a fish tune. It turns out they haven't played it since 2011. So somehow I lucked my way into you know a real rarity there and great encores. And uh, the show on the 13th was just fantastic. This was one of the reasons why. And uh, it was very, very well received at this show uh and and you know god bless the talking heads they are such a uh such a force in the world of rock and roll music and uh i think they're uh if i'm not mistaken maybe they're going to be or maybe by the time you heard this they've been on stephen colbert all four of them together uh, chris franz and jerry harrison and tina weymouth along with david byrne maybe for the first time in 20 or 30 years all sitting down for an interview with him because uh, i believe Stop making sense. Maybe is forty or forty-five years. I don't know. I, I can't. I, I don't know exactly why. But at any rate, they're they're a band that if they decided they were going to play again today, uh, it would be impossible to get tickets to go see. And uh, you know, you, you can't just cover the Talking Heads. You really have to play it well. And 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 Fish does a tremendous job with it. And they they did that night. And uh, it's the second time actually I've I've seen Fish play this. I saw him do it at Alpine Valley uh, summer. Uh, August of 2022. So I kind of consider myself lucky in that regard, right? If they've only played it a total of 62 times. And apparently recently they just hit their 2000th show and they're now past that. So, uh, but I'll, I'll hear it anytime they want to play it because it's a great song and they, they, they really play it well. In fact, my good buddy, Carrie was there as well. Uh, Carrie had seen fish in the 1990s and then, uh, not seen them again until, uh, first two of, of these shows uh just recently in chicago and uh after that first night uh, he loved it so much he came back the second night um not quite enough to come back the third night maybe but uh uh, he was definitely there. And he's a huge uh, he's part of a group of guys, uh, this whole Detroit group of, of guys that are big rockers that we all went to Michigan with were huge, huge, huge Talking Heads fans. And those were the guys who really got me uh, into that that band for the first time. And Carrie was blown away by it. And, you know, so uh, everybody was. It was just uh, it was great to hear. It was a lot of fun and um in in, in fish, fish parlance uh it, it wasn't very much of a rarity because they had just played at seven shows prior on august 4th 2023 at madison square garden and for those keeping score at home uh they did play it in the second set out of tweezer and into light so uh i love when you go on the fish uh, uh song list pages they, they give you all of this information what was the first time they played it what was the most recent time they played it before this where what set was it in what song did it come out of what song did it go into and you know You can be, if you're a deadhead nerd, you can be a fish nerd really easily too and uh, dive right back into this kind of stuff. So that's really a lot of fun. Now, the next clip we're going to play is amazing because A, it's an amazing song and B, it's amazing to me that Fish would even cover it at all and C, they hadn't covered it in so long uh, that it was absolutely amazing. Uh, It's a Neil Young tune and and let's listen to how this went down also on October 13th.
1: And say the thing Is less than 80, 90 miles away And I've got time To roll the numbers
0: Albuquerque is a great tune. Uh, it's a Neil Young tune. Uh, it was released on Neil's album tonight's the night in 1975. Um, and I was a little blown away when they started playing it. I, I, I turned to the young fish dude standing next to me who was doing his fish dance a mile a minute and said, Hey man, but is this, he said, yeah, that's Albuquerque. And here's the thing, you know, um, not only do, uh, I would say you have to be a pretty devoted Neil Young fan, you know, and really know all of his albums really well and all of his material, uh, you know, to immediately hear that song and, uh, and know what it is. Um, and, and I don't mean that, you know, say that some people are more versed in Neil Young, although certainly some people are, but, um, You know, I knew enough to know it was Neil Young, and I was pretty sure that that's what it was, and Young Fish Dude knew because Fish plays it, so, uh, you know, that's one of those cool things, and um, talked again. Uh, My buddy Rob was there uh, the first night, and, uh, you know, Carrie with those guys. I mean, these are hardcore rocking guys who go to see as many shows as they can get their hands on, and everybody was just blown away by this tune. It's a uh, song that sees Neil Young returning to a theme that has filled his music uh, from very early on, the vapidity of fame it's something he seems to struggle with even more than most other musicians or at least it's something he's chosen to sing about more often than most uh it may in fact be the most common theme of all of his music besides obvious stuff like you know heartbreak and love and overdoses In albuquerque young is thinking about running a car and driving from albuquerque new mexico to santa fe just to pee alone and uh independent from the scene he never tells us why he's in albuquerque to begin with uh but he does tell us uh that he wants to roll a joint, rent a car and stop to eat some fried eggs and country ham along the way. And I guess the country ham is kind of interesting because country ham is a food popular in the Southeast rather than the Southwest where he's, he's placing the story. It may just be a simple oversight on, on Neil's part, but it also may reveal another common thread in his music. Uh, the escape into rural simplicity is a cure for the craziness and fakeness of uh, uh, modern day life um i i I don't mean to sound quite so deep on neil but there's a wonderful site on the internet Um, a a musical site where if you type in what does such and such a song mean, it gives you these great, uh, these great answers. And so I just get enough credit for being able to find it and incorporate it into my uh, presentation here, but I thought it sounded pretty darn good. And if you heard me read it and not hear the second part, then, you know, you want to think that I'm some deep, you know, young guy, go right ahead. I have got no problem with that. Um, Fish played this song for the first time on July 26, 1998 at the Starplex amphitheater in Dallas, Texas. They have only played this song a total of seven. Seventeen times uh and just to show how rare it is in this instance it was last played on june 11th 2011 at the meriwether post pavilion just outside of washington dc which represented a gap of 457 shows that is a long long time for a song to kind of be put off to the side um and then just pulled out and played and not only just played but played really well um you know, it's, it's a slow tune. It's, a uh, you know, a tune with, you know, Neil Young type lyrics. And I think that, you know, Trey really nails it. He gets some great backing vocals from the guys and, um, it just, it sounds really, really good. And it was a, uh, it was a real pleasure to hear. Uh, it was a first set tune. They played it out of that killer ghost I was talking about. And then they went into, uh, saw it again. Um, but, uh, you know, after that, that kind of became the talk of the set break was that's uh, how how tight they were playing, all the great jamming. And my gosh, they covered Albuquerque and uh, uh, and really did a very, very uh, admirable job with it. Um, you know, it was fascinating for me uh, being at a three show run. I'd been at Alpine Valley, like I say, the, the summer before, summer of twenty two. And I've seen so many shows up in Alpine Valley that, you know, seeing those shows up there just kind of felt a little bit of normal and the same. Um, But it was at the time, you know, my first really uh, uh, multi-day fish experience. And, you know, just like with the dad, having a chance to, you know, roll into it on day one, really start to get into it on day two and be totally jamming by day three, only to realize that, uh, you know, your time with the band is winding down kind of thing. Uh, but at the United Center, we, you know, being afraid of uh, traffic conditions as they continue to fiddle around on the Kennedy Expressway, which is the major artery for anybody living north or northwest of the city, to get into downtown Chicago. And the uh, United Center is located pretty much in downtown Chicago, just west of the loop, actually. Um, but with all that construction on the highway and a Friday night, normal busy Friday night, plus all the fish heads on their way to the united center Uh, we were leaving early each night to give ourselves plenty of cushion and of course is what always happens in those same situations is that uh, we didn't run into the traffic we were expecting to run into and wound up getting out there uh, with plenty of time to spare in fact so much time that the first night uh, kevin and uh, his brother-in-law aaron and i made our way over to the shakedown street lot um which was just another one of the uh, United Center uh, Reserve parking lots for Bulls and Blackhawks games and things like that um and we made it over there and I have to say it was it was it was it was disappointing and it it was borderline sad there wasn't much to see other than everybody selling whippets anywhere balloons being sold everywhere and just in case anybody's wondering the current price for Whippets in Chicago is three large balloons for twenty dollars. Um, and I've told that that's a bargain because for a while it had been two large balloons for $20, uh, but maybe out of the goodness of their hearts, the, uh, Whippet Mafia or the, or whatever they call themselves these days, um, it, it's, it's so organized and so run. They will accept, uh, they'll accept payments on Zelle and Venmo. They'll accept credit card or debit card payments. Um, and they're out there selling these balloons like nobody's business and, um, I was never a big whippet fan i'm sure i tried him once or twice along the way uh probably the biggest involvement i ever saw them with was happened to be the night we were at uh, madison square garden in 1983 the night they played saint stephen uh, and i had done one a little bit earlier but hadn't done one still and some of the, my buddies there were doing them during the space and of course they came out of the space into saint stephen and uh you know i suppose for some of them it was a very uplifting experience and for some of them it might have been oops i wish i hadn't done this right before saint Stephen." Uh, but we all pretty much stopped when one of, one of our buddies after an Alpine Valley show one summer uh, was walking with us in the parking lot, did a nice big whip, And the next thing we knew, he was face down in the dirt. And we were like, oops, uh, that is a problem. Uh, he swore them off. Uh, most of the rest of us swore them off. And it's still fun to see them. Uh, I guess it's fun, but in not, not in like a ha-ha funny kind of way, fun and kind of a, almost a, an interesting, amusing way that not only are they still around, but they're as hot as they've ever been. And it's not just Fish or The Dead or whatever. Any show you come out of in the Chicagoland area these days, I suppose, although I, I didn't ask, maybe maybe they didn't have them after the Taylor Swift shows, but uh, uh, certainly after just about you know most other rock concerts around, uh, there is going to be um, um, some part of the, uh, the Whippet market out there selling this stuff and uh okay you know just part of the fish scene right now just like on a smaller scale it was part of the dead scene you know way back in the day but you know fish heads all come in and uh everybody gets their stuff ready to go and uh some people light up before the lights go out some people wait for the lights to go out uh nobody really seems to mind you know that the uh the ushers are right there and the ushers don't really seem to mind so there's a lot of that same dead vibe in terms of you know when you're at a fish show or a dead show. Uh, You know, you kind of enter your own little world where the regular rules don't exactly apply and you just have to make sure you understand what the local rules are. Uh, But the locals made it very clear uh, early on uh, that they didn't care. We uh, parked over in a spot uh, that I knew uh, because we used to park there all the time for Bulls games back in the day when we were going down and seeing Michael do his thing but um, we parked over there and it, it was cheap too it was only like $25 easy in easy out and there was this same woman there all three nights you know on the first night you know she seemed a little old and a little slow and wasn't quite clear but she said something about and there's no tailgating in this parking lot and when we pulled in and parked there was an old guy driving around in a van with a red light in the front window and it appeared to me that he must be looking to see who was doing what so we just got up and got out of the car and left and uh night two, the same kind of thing, although we did stick around in the car for a few minutes and, and enjoy ourselves a little bit. But when we pulled in for night three and we rolled down the window to pay, she goes, you know, I've been meaning to tell you guys the last two nights, your car has the best smelling marijuana smell of all the cars that come in here. You must be smoking some really good marijuana. And we said, well, yeah, you know, and she goes, okay, well, that's fine. I said, speaking of that, when you say no tailgating, does that mean we're not allowed to uh, to be smoking in your parking lot. And she said, well, you can't get out of the car and stand around. If you stand around, you're tailgating, but if you're sitting in your car, we don't care what you're doing. So we said, thank you. We all pulled in, sat in the car for 20 minutes, got stoned and then got out of the car and went and headed towards the show. But these are the kind of people, you know, hats off to the, the United Center in the city of Chicago for having the right kind of people handling this show, as opposed to our friends over at, uh, the salt shed who, uh, gave me such a hard time previously, uh, that we've talked about on other shows in the past. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, but I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed, um, uh, you know, everybody, uh, is friendly and, you know, everybody will, if, if they see you looking at your cell phone, Hey man, don't worry. It's this song or that song. And, um, everybody's passing around their joints and everybody's uh, doing all that stuff. And, you know, a very mellow crowd, uh, um, as we are, uh, hanging out during the set break and all of that kind of stuff so yeah it it was very very enjoyable it was very pleasant uh you get your money's worth when you see fish uh all three nights were uh 90 minutes of music per set and yes there's a lot of jamming involved with all of that and uh you know yes they 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 do get out there with it and all of that but um it is what it is and we love it uh you know I, i understand why my boys are into it i understand why my wife's cousin Susie and her husband are into it so much I get uh, all of these people uh, why they like fish and quite frankly uh, my buddy Johnny who went with me on uh, Sunday night uh, is only his second fish show ever and his first in a while now he's all set to go back and see him again because they do they come out they play they're so tight they're so right on on uh, the show on Saturday night the 14th Um, they opened with a really strong runaway gym and then they play a song that I confess I know, and I'm not a big fan of, which is Martian monster. And I just think it's a little too gimmicky. It was one of their Halloween science fiction songs once. And, um, uh, I, I, just, I, 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 they, they do get eventually get into a good jam in it and all of that, but it, it, it starts off, it sounds like you're waiting to get onto Space Mount. You know, it's that same voice. Get ready, your adventure is about to begin. You know, and you're like, ah! But, you know, they play that. Sample in a Jar, which is always a, a fun song. My brother's one of his favorite songs, My Brother Steve. Way, Karina, uh, 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 not to be confused with The Grateful Dead's Karina. Uh, I believe this is a Taj Mahal's version, but they play it really well. Tube, 46 Days, uh, NICU, uh, a tune called Most Events Aren't Planned, Into Cavern, uh, and Into More, which is a, a very, very fun song and a, and a nice one to jam on at the end with a very positive upbeat message to it. Um, and then they came out in the second set, opening up with Chalk Dust Torture, you can never go wrong with that, Into Oblivion, Split Open and melt. And Here, folks, is where I'm going to say that I, I, I step away from your average fish fan because in the middle of Split Open and Melt... Um, there was this jam that was, that was dark and ominous and, you know, really not a lot of fun to be listening to. And my wife was there with me on Saturday night and uh, she's, she likes fish. She's not the biggest fish fan, but she enjoys going and there's certain tunes she likes and others she doesn't. And I turned to her with a nodding glance and said, I know, I know if we were in the car, you'd make me turn the channel right now on the radio. And she acknowledged that, but um, you know, they, they came out of that to what's the use and back into everything's right. And I love it when they do more and everything's right in the same show, uh, some other tunes that we'll get to in a minute, and um, you know, w- was was just really great and, and and fun all the way around. Skipping ahead to Sunday night for uh, a second here, and then we'll go back to a little bit of a uh, uh, little bit more of Saturday night. But skipping ahead to Sunday night, fish came out and they played a tune that they do not play very often at all. Uh, but they decided this was going to be the night that they were going to play it and uh, covering one of my favorite bands, Little Feet. Spanish Moon is is, is uh, one of Little Feet's best songs, in my opinion. Uh, certainly, one of their most popular tunes. Uh, it's from the Little Feet, uh, Little Feet album, Feet Don't Fail Me Now, which was released in nineteen seventy four. Which may be my favorite Little Feet album uh, uh, that isn't Waiting for Columbus, uh, their their live album, which is is one of the best live albums out there. Uh, but this was great. Uh, loved seeing them cover a band like Little Feet. Loved seeing the fact that this that this crowd. Uh, I'm willing to bet 90% of whom were not even born when uh, Feats Don't Fail Me Now dropped in 1974, uh, but just loving it. And many of them knowing the words to the songs and, you know, it, it it's it's not just the Grateful Dead music that survives all of these years, but Little Feet has survived. And so many of those bands, the music that they made at that time still has such strong followings these days. And it it's just, uh, it's a wonderful thing to see and it's a wonderful thing to, uh, um, you know, to be able to observe. But it was also very funny, I thought, because, um, it was a little, uh, prescient, if I can use that word on the part of Fish, uh, because the very next night, uh, Monday, uh, October 17th, Little Feet, in fact, was in Chicago playing at the Vic Theater on the north side of the city. And my buddy, John, who was with me on Sunday night at this show, Uh, was going the next night to see Little Feet. And since this was the end of the Fish tour, it caused both of us to speculate for a minute on the possibility of um, Trey or maybe one of the other guys or all of them, who knows, uh, making their way over to the Vic Theater uh, to have an opportunity to jam with Little Feet. Uh, I will report uh, that I heard from John that the Little Feet show was tremendous, uh, not quite as strongly attended as the Fish show, but giving everybody plenty of room to dance and hang out and and do what they want to do. Uh, they played all the favorites and there was no appearance by Trey or any of the other fish guys. Um, so, uh, Uh, At least we all know that, but it was just so funny. And in fact, my son, Matthew, called it. I had talked to him earlier in the day and we were talking about songs they might play. And he's the one that remembered that Little Feet was playing the next night and said, maybe they'll play something from Little Feet. And I, you know, my thought process was, "Ah, you know, they they can't be following everybody else's travel schedule that closely. And and whether they knew it or not, uh, it doesn't matter because they played it. So uh, Matthew got credit for that one as well. Um, Spanish Moon was written and, and, and sung uh, with Little Feet uh, by guitarist Lowell George, who was a creative powerhouse uh, and one of the founders of Little Feet. And, and, and really, in, you know, in their early years, it was a band that really revolved around him very much so. The other musicians are all amazing, fantastic musicians, and they all play very, very strong roles in the band. Um, but clearly, you know, if you had to pick one guy who was the lead, I think most people would say Lowell George. Uh, the song is about a fictional place called the Spanish Moon, a seedy club with whiskey and bad cocaine, uh, but a girl singer that made it worth it to, to go by there. There are many dangers in the Spanish Moon, but the ones likely to do, uh, do you win, are the women. You really got to watch out for the women at the, uh, at the Spanish Moon, so says, um, so says Lowell George. Uh, he was an excellent storyteller. He created the Spanish moon from his imagination, but he lived through the vices he describes in the, song, in the song, especially the cocaine. Around this time, his addictions were starting to overpower him. His health started failing, and he developed hepatitis. Feet Don't Fail Me Now was the last Little Feet album where he was clearly the leader. His contributions to the band slowly tailed off, and in 1979, he released a solo album. While on tour supporting it, he died of a heart attack uh, at 34. They had also released uh, Little Feet, an album called... Uh, down on the Farm, and uh, Little George uh, sang most of those tunes as well. And that was actually the album that I was introduced to Little Feet on because it got a little bit of FM radio play in St. Louis in 79 and 80 when I was a junior and senior in high school. Um, and so you know, I bought uh, bought that album and had bought uh, uh, Feet's uh, um, Waiting for Columbus, the live album, and really started listening to Little Feet. Um, and, and love Lowell George. But just as I'm discovering Little Feet, Lowell George drops out of a heart attack at 34. No doubt uh, uh, his his vices played a role in that. Uh, we've talked about uh, the fact that Lowell George uh, produced the album Shakedown Street for the Grateful Dead. Uh, and uh, we talked about the story that the first time he made it to uh, the Grateful Dead's uh, Clubfront studio um, in the Marin area, Uh, The first day he was going there to start working with them on the album, as he walked in, he saw everybody in the place uh, down on the carpeted floor on their hands and knees crawling around with their faces pushed into the carpeting. And when he asked somebody what was going on, they said, oh, one of the roadies had just brought out a big, huge tray of cocaine that they were starting to cut up the lines on. And another guy was carrying a piece of equipment and didn't see it and flipped it over and all the cocaine landed in the carpet. And then somebody asked Little George, what did you do? He goes, what do you mean? What did I do? I got down on my hands and knees and started snorting up the cocaine with them. That's what I did. So, you know, this is the kind of guy that Lowell George was. Um, you know, the miracle there is that he, he he made it seven years past the the infamous 27 club of, of great rock and rollers who died at that that ominous age. Uh, but he couldn't get much beyond it. And he did die at, uh, at the age of 34, I, either 1979 or 1980, I want to say, and um, but how great it was it to see uh, the boys covering Spanish Moon. They de- they excuse me they debuted it live on October thirty first, twenty ten, at the Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. Uh, that year for Halloween, Fish's musical costume was in fact Waiting for Columbus. As we've said, the famed Little Feet live album. And if you only get one album of Little Feet, it must be Waiting for Columbus. Although all of them. Uh, are excellent so much so that I even have to give a shout out to my buddies at the M legends club who are huge little feet fans. And, uh, Often we'll start the morning by texting over a line from a Little Feet song and seeing who can pick up and play off of it. And What's your three favorite Little Feet tunes? What's your three favorite Little Feet album? You know, on and on and on. And uh, uh, it's fun and it's all worth it because they were that good. Now, here's the thing. Fish has only performed it live three times, including this show that I just saw. So uh, this is not a song that gets a lot of play by Fish. And the last uh, uh, time that Fish performed it, prior to this show was on February 21st, 2019 at the Barcelo Maya Beach, uh, hotel, the Riviera Maya in Quintana Roo, Mexico, representing a gap of 170 shows in, in the show I saw, uh, Sunday night, the 15th, it was a second set tune. It came out of pebbles and marbles, and then it went into a wave of hope. Um, but, uh, clearly at that point, uh, a song that, that, uh, you know, really to some degree, uh, became the, uh, the song of the night, I think, as far as we were all concerned. Um, excuse me, this was on the night of the 15th. I think I said the 14th, but um, on the night of the 15th. And, uh, you know, out of that, they went into this, to a wave of hope and then into Evolve and then a couple of other tunes. And uh, we'll get to all of those in a minute but you can't ask, you know, if a band is going to play cover tunes and they're going to come out and they're going to cover Little Feet and they're going to do a great job with it. What more can you ask for from a band? You know, I, I just don't think there's a whole lot more that uh, um, you could really ask for, unless, of course, uh, you were asking for that band uh, to give you yet another amazing cover. And by God, uh, Fish was ready to do that. Uh, and this is from October 14th. Uh, The Saturday night show, Uh, again, I was there with my wife, my son and my brother were also there. And um, in the second set, out of Everything's Right and then subsequently into Fluffhead, uh, Fish laid out this amazing Led Zeppelin cover. So here's the thing you just don't have a lot of bands that cover Led Zeppelin um, because Led Zeppelin has such a unique sound, uh, and some of their songs can be so complex that you're really putting your neck out on the line um, doing it. And this is, you know, Fish has uh, regularly covers Good Times, Bad Times, another Led Zeppelin tune, but they love this song, No Quarter. Uh, and uh, while well, the statistics don't necessarily bear it out, um, they play it, uh, so wonderfully, you know, the, uh, between Trey and, and Mike Fishman at 30 seconds into the song or not even 30 seconds, 10 seconds into the song. It's such, they, they, they play the distinctive Led Zeppelin sound so well and, and, and create the, the vocals with the same type of, uh, I don't even know the technical words for it, sorry, but you know, um, just the way they're pronouncing their words and holding lines and things like that. And, you might even think that was actually Led Zeppelin performing the song because it really comes out like that, I think here. Um, And once again, you know, the crowd is just diving into this tune and the, you know, the guys in the front row you can see them, they're rocking their heads back and forth, like all the Led Zeppelin, you know, and heavy metal heads do, and their long hair flying all over the place. And they're just, you know, getting into it. And again, this is a song by Led Zeppelin that was released in 1973 on their album houses of the Holy. You know, this is, this is like feet, don't fail me now. This is an album uh, that was released and produced and, and, adored and loved and snapped up by zeppelin fans everywhere and an album that got extensive fm radio play at the time and you know here are people you know 40 50 years later 50 years later jamming on this tune as though it's brand new and one of the reasons why is because of how well fish plays it you know and and they don't just pull a tune out and say well let's give it a try and see what happens and kind of stumble their way through it which the dead were famous for doing for doing on a few occasions uh they, they couldn't quite get blackbird from the Beatles white album uh, all the way through one night at Alpine Valley. And um, there's versions of pig pen singing. Hey Jude from back in the day that it would have just been as well. If they just sang the, the code of the na 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 part rather than trying to do the whole song. But I always gave them credit, you know, for making the effort and trying, but you know, when leds up Zepp- when, uh, when fish does it, they, they really take the time to do it. This, you know, so this is, you know, Led Zeppelin's song from houses of the Holy. Uh, it, It became a centerpiece for all of Led Zeppelin's concerts after that, really up until their final tour. Uh, It appears in both the film version and the live album versions of the song Remains the Same, which was released in 1976 and expanded in 2007. Uh, It appeared once more in 1994 on Page and Plant's Reunion album as the title track. It appears on Led Zeppelin's 2012 live album Celebration Day, which documented their 2007 reunion performance at the O2 Arena in London, and then it was re-released on the deluxe edition of Houses of the Holy. Uh, The title is derived from the military practice of showing no mercy to a vanquished opponent and from the brave act of not asking for mercy when vanquished. This theme is captured in several of the song's lyrics, uh, like Immigrant Song 2 albums prior, it evokes imagery from the Vikings and Norse mythology with lyrics such as, The winds of Thor are blowing cold. Record producer Rick Rubin remarked on the song's structure: "It takes such confidence uh, to be able to get really quiet and loose for such a long time." Zeppelin completely changed how we look at what popular music can be. They debuted Fish debuted the song on June first, twenty eleven, at PNC Bank Arts Center in Holmdale, New Jersey. They've only performed this song nineteen times, and prior to uh, this show at the United Center, it was last performed on April twenty third, twenty twenty three uh, at the Hollywood bowl out in LA, a gap of 32 shows. So not even really that significant of a gap considering how few times it's been played, but played with energy and, and, uh, you know, by God, everybody just loved it. We're going to step away from fish for a few minutes, and we're going to explore the wonderful and fun world of marijuana. Uh, so I will give, uh, uh, producer Dan Hummiston, a chance to do his uh, always famous intro as we segue into this section of our show. <laughs> Cypress Hill. Okay, there we go. Dan keeping us on our toes with his uh, never ever-changing uh, marijuana lead in music. Here's the plus side of, of allowing marijuana to be sold in our states. Colorado dispensaries have now sold more than $15 billion worth of marijuana since legalization. Uh, I believe they started in 2014, so that's just about nine years ago, generating $2.5 billion in tax revenue. They did first open in 2014. They've generated this incredible amount of cannabis tax revenue to support public programs and services. Uh, As of August, Colorado has seen $15,028,995,376 in total legal cannabis sales in 2023 alone so far. Marijuana sales have amounted to one billion fifty-two million five hundred seventeen thousand nine hundred thirteen dollars. Um, these are just incredible numbers we're talking about here, folks. I mean, what else are we selling in society right now, legally? That's that that you know that is at the same price point as marijuana. Uh, you know, that's, that's generating sales revenue like this. The tax revenue from the last nine years of legalization stands at $2.5 billion as of September of this year. The Colorado Department of Revenue said in a press release on Wednesday. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, from our good friends, uh, as always, over at Marijuana Business Daily. Um, and uh, uh, we appreciate uh, them helping us out with some stories today. Um we also have some stories from uh, Marijuana Moment, and, and both of these groups, again, I just want to point out, are uh, uh, this podcast's primary source of news in the marijuana world, and anyone who really wants to stay up to speed on what's going on in the marijuana world uh, should be checking both of these websites on a daily basis or just having it sent to your inbox, and then you don't have to remember to go find it. Um, but getting back to this article, spokesperson for Governor Jared Polis Uh, said that under the governor's pro-freedom plans, we have seen Colorado's marijuana industry grow stronger, create more jobs, and support our thriving economy across the the state. Um, He's glad to see that Colorado's cannabis industry is thriving, generating tax revenue for local governments and school construction, and is hopeful that these sales will uh, responsibly get higher and higher uh, and even surpass $15 billion was the first state to launch recreational marijuana sales following voters approval of legalization initiative at the ballot box in 2012 annual sales peaked in 2021 when they reached about $2.2 billion, but they've since declined and largely leveled out in the past two years. Still, as we saw, sales for this year are already over a billion dollars and, and, and going strong. That's amazing and nothing to ignore. An analysis from the state's nonpartisan legislative council staff uh, that was released in August also showed that Colorado generated more tax revenue from marijuana than alcohol or cigarettes during the last fiscal year, with $280 million in cannabis tax dollars going toward a variety of government programs and services like K through 12 education and healthcare. And this is the great thing, folks. This is wonderful. If more people are buying marijuana than they're buying alcohol or buying cigarettes, people are making a more responsible choice, a safer choice, everything that we've always talked about, uh, when comparing all of these substances with one another. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, both alcohol and nicotine are substances, uh, that are found to be more addictive and, um, uh, Cause more uh, uh, dependencies and problems, healthcare-wise, missed days of work, all the all the statistics that are followed. Both of them blow marijuana out of the water in terms of how many how much more problems they cause. So if we're getting people to stop using them and to smoke marijuana instead, that's a victory for. Uh, for overall health, right? Because don't forget, in states that have marijuana programs, we saw, we read a study a couple of weeks ago uh, that told us that overall healthcare premiums go down. So this is a good thing. Marijuana smoking go up, healthcare premiums go down, teenage smoking goes down. All this other stuff uh, that we were talking about. And and then all the great things that the money goes to uh, for a variety of services in Colorado, substance misuse treatment, early childhood literacy, youth mentorship, bullying prevention, law enforcement training, affordable housing, research, and illicit market interdiction. Uh, There's just so much to see with this. And, you know, it's so nice to know that Colorado and Washington, uh, which were the first two to stick their toe in the water of adult use, and, you know, really were the... They are. They're the pioneers in all of this. At the time, the Cole memorandum had been issued, but nobody really knew what the federal government was going to do. And these two states pushed forward and uh, they launched this industry on the adult use side. And today, state after state after state is joining in, and it's a wonderful thing to see. However, when we turn to our next story coming from up north in Canada, it is a cautionary tale uh, for people who – dive into the marijuana industry because it is the marijuana industry. And even for some of the bigger ones who think that not only are they going to dive in, uh, but they want to wrap their arms around it and capitalize it and dominate it as much as possible. And what we're hearing now is that some of Canada's largest cannabis cultivators are turning to vegetables, fruits, and orchids to bolster their bottom line as macroeconomic fundamentals continue to challenge the struggling Canadian cannabis industry. The latest licensed producer to enter the food business is Leamington, Ontario-based Tilray Brands, which recently said it was converting part of its sprawling facilities in Gatineau, Quebec, to grow fruits and vegetables. Tilray joins Alberta-based Aurora Cannabis and British Columbia-headquartered Village Farms International in diversifying their main business at a time when a glut of marijuana has sent wholesale prices tumbling. Last year, Aurora branched into the vegetable propagation and ornamental flowers business with its acquisition of Bevo Agtech, one of North America's largest suppliers of flowers and vegetable seedlings, for 45 million Canadian dollars, 35 million in in, uh, US dollars everybody's trying to figure out what to do with the greenhouses and you're never going to get all your money back, Aurora CEO Miguel Martin uh, said in a phone interview. However, I think it's important to keep them viable and it's been great to see the Edmonton facility full again right next to the airport. Health Canada, the federal agency that oversees the cannabis sector, noted one key requirement for any licensed producer seeking to diversify. It would be a requirement that an individual organization undertaking the growing of vegetables, fruits, or flowers in the same uh, facility as the indiv- that's the same as the individual or organization who holds the cultivation license. The uh, agency said uh, in a response to a question, and that um, that you know that they're looking for the same people. Um, Vancouver-based Village Farms already has produced operations in British Columbia, uh, Texas, and Mexico before expanding into cannabis via its Pure Sun Farms subsidiary. Pure Sun Farms is one of the largest cannabis producers in Canada by market share. Uh, The diversification comes as as Canada's cannabis producers confront stark economic realities facing the recreational and medical marijuana sectors in that country. The industry overall still faces an oversupply situation in almost every product category. As of last winter, packaged and unpackaged inventory of dried cannabis jumped to an all-time high of 1.47 billion grams. That's 3.2 million pounds. Health Canada won't release data until next spring, Uh, accounting for this fall's crop-tober when most of the outdoor harvest comes in, but the situation is unlikely to have improved notably. Um, And so the, the supply and demand mismatch in Canada is one of the main driving factors in addition to fierce competition, which is resulting in lower prices, which adds to the woes of businesses already battling rising input costs because of general inflationary pressure. So this is what we see Uh, some of these big companies doing in Canada. Um, And, 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 you know, as we say, there is a caution airy tale to this, but uh, the good news is, is that some of them have been able to roll over uh, into another industry and repurpose all of their uh, cannabis equipment. And the hope would be that if the cannabis market recovers in Canada to a point where they want to flip back, that they can uh, just as seamlessly flip back and dive back in uh full scale they're not giving up all of their marijuana growing they're, they're just giving up part of it but it is creative it is thinking outside of the box I guess a little bit so you know it's good to know for them and now we turn uh, uh to a story that's coming out of My home state, Missouri, that I've been so big to give uh, props and shout outs to because of the way, how quickly they rolled out their program. Uh, But now we're finding out that there is a a widespread product recall in Missouri uh, that is now having the effect of really upending its uh, fledgling cannabis industry. And there's a wide scale recall that's targeting tens of thousands of infused cannabis products in Missouri. And it's led to millions of dollars in lost sales and inventory for retailers and manufacturers. Um, at the same time, scores of operators caught up in the fallout have few options to recoup those losses. Some retailers, such as Kansas City-based multi-state operator Greenlight, have locked up thousands of vape pens and other products in vaults after Missouri regulators imposed an administrative hold in August on the merches, on, on the merchandise. Then implemented a full-fledged recall. First-hand accounts from manufacturers such as Kansas City-based Clover, the state's largest, point to multi-million-dollar losses. After the Division for Cannabis Regulation recalled roughly 62,000 infused marijuana products with distillate manufactured and sold by Delta Extraction, a processor based in Robertsville, on August 2nd, regulators suspended Delta Extraction's business license, alleging the company sourced untested marijuana or converted hemp from outside of Missouri licensed cultiva- outside of a Missouri cult- uh, licensed cultivation facility. In the recall notice. Uh, the DCR said the affected products were not uh, compliant, uh, they were not compliantly logged into the statewide track and trace system operated by uh, Metric, the state uh, uh, group that monitors these things. As a result, the agency said it was unable to verify if the products were derived from in-state marijuana growers or whether they passed testing requirements before entering the retail market. Delta Extraction has denied the charges. Nevertheless, uh, it's, it's a scandal, if you will, that is growing and growing in Missouri And what it points to is, on the one hand, it's great to be out there ahead of the crowd. It's great to have a program uh, that moves forward very quickly uh, and and allows for that. But at the same time, you have to be careful. You can't cut corners. And if you do, you're setting yourself up uh, for major, major problems and a, a recall uh, for products, the uh, large net number means that, you know, these companies have to be prepared to come out of pocket back to the consumers at a minimum for the value of, of what was paid for this product. And I'm going to guess that most of these companies aren't sitting around on cash reserves large enough to be able to do that without having a severe negative impact on their overall financial condition and and their ability to continue to, to move forward as, as operating businesses. Um, But at the same time, obviously, the state uh, has an obligation to its citizens to ensure that the products are safe. And so what we're going to really have to find out here is just exactly uh, what the final evidence is. And uh, if if these uh, manufacturers and and infusers did, in fact, uh, break the rules, then uh, presumably they are going to have to face punishment. And it it may mean that some of them uh, may not be able to financially withstand Uh, the prejudicial effect it would have on their business. So that's something we're going to want to really watch and see. But at the same time, we're going to also want to make sure that, um, you know, if you're a business owner uh, out there in any state, including Missouri, but any state, for gosh sakes, I tell this to my clients all the time, you need to know the rules. These rules are not optional. They are put in place. This market, uh, this industry is audited in so many different ways, by so much more than any other industries, because of all of these rules, because still of people's having fears and concerns about the potential dangers of these products, if they're not closely monitored. Yes, there are legitimate concerns about contaminants such as fentanyl possibly uh, becoming involved in the production of things. But, you know, we we have to have faith in the state. We have to have faith in the testing systems. Uh, And the only thing that can defeat that. Our manufacturers and and producers who try to sidestep that system, uh, all in the name of, of profiting, uh, in a, in a faster period of time. And of course that has no place in any industry, let alone in the, uh, in the legal cannabis industry. So, um, Lots going on out there, lots of stuff, you know, for us to be paying attention to, seeing what's happening. Um, I'm just very happy with the marijuana situation, you know, the way it exists when you walk into a, something like the Fish concert, right? Again, and, you yeah. know, where, where people are just hanging out, where the marijuana is being smoked, the good marijuana is being smoked, where everybody's, you know, always happy to share what they have either because they, they want people to know how good it is or because they just don't like seeing anybody not having as good a time as they are. Um, And there are definitely people there who do not get high. And there are people, you know, sitting around us uh, who clearly, um, you know, did not want to participate. But at least, you know, they know and they understand that if they go to the show and they're sitting down in the crowd, that they are going to get exposed to it um, because it is out there. And, you know, whether it's just because it it interacts so well with jam band music, it's in the right frame of mind, whatever it may do, uh, it's become so uh, inculcated as part of the culture of Uh, jam band music, uh, to really, you know, release you and give you, uh, the, the, the the mental freedom to really let go and, 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 and participate in all of it. And so that's the, that's the good news. Um, but we're going to dive back in now to our concert. Uh, this is a, uh, song that was played by Fish on the first night, October 13th, 2023. It was their encore and it does speak to a member of the, uh, Infamous 27 Club. Isabella, uh, Jimi Hendrix tune. Jimmy did uh, wasn't an, is an unfortunate member of the 27 Club. Um, now, now they're covering Jimmy, and they do cover Jimmy. This is not uh, necessarily new uh, or unique. Although uh, again, the number of times they've played it, um, and over the number of years they've played it, is not a, a huge number. Um, but they also play other Jimi Hendrix tunes. Uh, but Isabella is a great tune. I, I've always loved it. It's off of the Band of Gypsies album that was released in April of 1970. Um, after Hendrix disbanded the Jimi Hendrix experience in early 1969, he formed Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. Uh, so he would have a band to fulfill his contract to play Woodstock. Uh, In July of 1969, this was one of the new songs that he introduced at the Woodstock Festival, after which he was eager to perfect a studio version. He recruited bassist Billy Cox, who had played with him while they were in the Army, and his drummer friend Buddy Miles for a new ensemble, Band of Gypsies. They recorded this as the B-side to his Stepping Stones single for reprise, but it was quickly pulled after Hendrix complained about the mix. The Band of Gypsies made their live debut at the Fillmore East on New Year's Eve 1969, and this song was played during their first set um uh, a classic Hendrix tune uh it's a great one uh trey attacks it goes right after it um the band really you know jams it out and um you know while they don't quite have the full jimmy guitar sound down uh they do a pretty good job with it i think uh fish debuted the song all the way back on june 13th 1997 at the ff the sfx center in dublin ireland uh, Fish has performed the song, including this one, 17 times. So again, not a large number of times that they've performed it. Uh, and uh, again, funny enough, uh, right before the show where I saw it, they last performed this on July 30th, 2023 at Madison Square Garden in New York. So here only a gap of 15 shows, uh, meaning it had been sitting at you know 15 uh, over that, that extended period of almost 30 years. Uh, and then in the last couple of months, it, they've, they've pulled it out twice. Um, but it's a great song to hear. It's a lot of fun. It was played as the encore of the October 13th show, and it was a great way to end the night. We all noticed that they had dropped the, um, uh, the tweezer repry from that night and, uh, instantly leading everyone to start speculating as to when, uh, twee pry would, uh, would make its appearance. And, um, it was, uh, to come on the Sunday night as everybody, uh, would expect in a situation like that. Um, but just going back really fast and, and filling out the rest of the October 14th show, we, we heard No Quarter. Then they came and they closed out the show with Fluffhead. Um, I like Fluffhead. You know, I don't know that I necessarily buy into it as like one of the all-time great uh, fish tunes or, or fish tunes, you know, that uh, fish heads like to hear so much. I've heard people, you know, try to compare it to like a St. Stephen type song in terms of, you know, what it means to the fish heads. It, it, it's just a strange tune. Um, There are parts of it that I like a lot. and There are parts of it that they jam really well on. But there's also parts of it that kind of like go through. uh, The the song goes off in a number of different directions. And it's not cohesive in that way, at least for me, just me speaking here. Fish heads, don't get mad at me. But that's it. And I seem to hear it a lot. Now, again, you know, it gets a good reaction from the crowd. So I don't really mind it. Um, but it's just always interesting to me, but they, they did close out the show with that. And then the, uh, the encore on Saturday night was, uh, life beyond the dream and character zero, which is the fish song. I've probably heard more than any other fish song in my day. Um, that's just the way it is. Uh, then we roll into the 15th, the, the final night, never miss a Sunday, right? And They come out and open with everything is hollow, uh, timber, ocelot, vultures, monsters, plasma, Mercury, Stash, Leaves, and finally David Bowie. Now, one thing I like about that is I love how Fish has so many songs that are just one word. Timber, Ocelot, Vultures, Monsters, Plasma, Mercury, Stash, Leaves. There's Sand, there's on and on and on. How many of these songs just have one word names? And I don't know, it just really kind of gets to me. It was a very well played set. I thought that David Bowie at the end of the set, um, I don't want to say save the set, but really sent it out. On a uh, on a much stronger note, um, they, they really jammed that out pretty well. Again, another 90-minute set. And then in the second set, they came down, and this was uh, you know the night of encores. Uh, they opened with Drowned off of the Who's Quadrophenia, and then, appropriately or not, went right into a song I heard the Ocean sing. Uh, they came back and jammed into Tweezer again, just so we didn't forget that they had played it on Friday night and left without the twee Pry uh, into a great simple that just kind of rolled into it, and everybody was going crazy. Pebbles and Marbles, which is a tune that I can't say is one of my favorites, but you know, it's there, so we, we take it. Um, and then into Spanish Moon, which we talked about, A Wave of Hope, Evolve. Um, and then they went into the song we're going to close with here in just a second, Loving Cup, uh, which is off of um, uh, Exile on Main Street. Uh, and then they finished up with a three song encore, Run Like an Antelope, which is a great tune. Say it to me, Santos. Uh, One of their new uh, written for Halloween type tunes, which kind of grows on you after a while. And I think maybe one of the reasons why they play it in Chicago is because uh, um, the Bears uh, place kicker is named Santos and uh, maybe they like to play it when they're here for him because it's the second time I think I've heard it here. And then they closed out uh, with the aforementioned Twee Pry, uh, which for the Deadheads would be like the, the playing of the band repry. Uh, and it wasn't unusual for the Dead to do the same thing, play playing on a Friday night, come back for the repry at the end of the show on Sunday or in the Sunday Encore. And that's what Fish did here. So we're going to leave you with um, Loving Cup, again written by Jagger and Richards on their 1971 album, Exile on Main Street. Uh, It's grown to be appreciated with time, this album. It's an example of a song that became more popular later on. In a 2003 interview, Mick Jagger explained on the 40 Licks tour when we were playing the set list, uh, preparing the set list for a show in Yokohama. Chuck Lavelle suggested we play Loving Cup, uh, our ballad from Exile on Main Street. Jagger, uh, (laughs) Jagger said, I don't want to play the tune. And I said, Chuck, this is going to die a death in Yokohama. I can't even remember the bloody song and no one likes it. I've done it loads of time in America and it doesn't go down that well. It's a very difficult song to sing and I'm fed up with it. Chuck went stick in the mud. So I gave in and put it in the set list. Lo and behold, we went out, started the song, and they all began applauding, which just proves how over time some of these songs acquire a certain existence or value that they never had when they first came out. People will say what a wonderful song that was when it was virtually ignored at the time that it was released. So. Uh, this is a song that, that, that Fish fans absolutely adore, and as you'll hear in a minute, they Fish debuted the song, uh, interestingly, on February 3rd, 1993, at the Portland Expo in Portland, Maine. It's interesting because they did eventually cover Exile on Main Street, the album, as a Halloween musical costume on October 31st, 2009, at the Empire Polo Club in Indio, California, uh, where it was part of the Fish Festival Eight. Uh, Clearly one of their favorite uh, covers in a crowd pleaser. They've played this one 148 times. So uh, that is very significant. Uh, And in fact, prior to this show, uh, they had last played it on August 5th, 2023 at Madison Square Garden, uh, a gap of only 13 shows. Um, So as you can tell, right, um, uh, not very significant uh, in terms of how much time passed. And usually not a lot of time goes past between versions of this song uh they closed the second set with it out of evolve and uh it, it's one of those songs that when they when they close the show uh with love and cup uh everybody goes home with a smile on their face and although that was not the encore uh, it was a great way to end and it's uh the way that we're going to end today's show uh thank you again for listening everyone uh hope you enjoyed a little bit of fish music here uh we will get back into the grateful dead next week with uh, another wonderful dead show but every now and then we do have to give in to all of our fish fans out there and, and recognize uh, that they throw down some pretty good music and that they're certainly worth seeing if they're coming through your town so i hope everyone will have a great week be safe and as always enjoy your cannabis responsibly thank you
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's Top 100 Influencers in Cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.